For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. And now, join Kevin Hart as he dives into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians. This is Comedy Gold Mines with Kevin Hart. Welcome, world. Welcome to an all-new episode of Comedy Gold Mines. We'll begin to the minds of comedians or comedic personalities or people who just understand funny. And oh, what amazing minds they have. Today's mind, oh, oh man, this is, this is a big one. It's a big mind. Not because of big head. This is a big mind because of, of, of accomplishments. I mean, where do I begin? Writer, producer, director, creator. Uh, I mean, I can go back to my early days. Undeclared. I can go freaks and geeks. I can go, I can go super bad. I can go 40-year-old virgin. I mean, I can, I can literally go, this is 40. I can, the list goes on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, Judd Apatow. Hey, Judd. How are you, my friend? How's it going? I'm good, man. Did you hear that introduction? What did you think of my introduction? Was that a good introduction? I felt pretty good. I was, I was wondering, how's Kevin going to go with this? How, how kind yeah. will he be? How much will yeah. he make me look good? Even when I saw that you had this show, I was like, how long does Kevin wait to ask me on? And I thought pretty early, you know, some people get chosen. Like I'm like invite number 200. I'm like, wow, this is early in the Kevin run. He must like me. I must not only like you, I must love you, Judd. And I think you are an important conversation. I feel like you're in a, you're a conversation that, uh, that I not only want to have, but I think people are going to get a kick out of because you know, you're, you're a guy that's behind the scenes but that's not really behind the scenes. Like you're, you're a behind the scenes guy, but you're so personable and you're so cool about what you do that it's like, you've never, you've never forced a version of keep me a secret. You're not like, Hey, don't, don't mention, don't show my face. All right, I'm not, you're, not, you're not trying to be Batman. You're not trying to be Batman. And I just don't know if people understand or know how funny you really are, man. And how grounded and cool of a person you are um i want to go back man i want to go back to to my early days with you because i can get personal with you i want to go back to what i feel was the reason for my start in hollywood judd and i know i've told you this before and we've had our conversations but you are truly your reason for for my early years of introduction and work and the reason why i say that is because my reason for coming to LA for my listeners was to do a pilot for Judd Apatow. Judd had a, he had a sitcom that he was developing (laughs) and the sitcom was called North Hollywood and in North Hollywood, it, it starred Jason Siegel, Amy Poehler, Judge Reinhold and, and 
there and January was, Jones. January Jones. That's right. Let's not forget January Jones. And Adam Everybody, McKay. Adam, Adam McKay. <laughs> I, I talked to Adam. I talked to Adam, man. Uh, Adam McKay in the show as well. <laughs> oh my God! When you think about when you think about the the names, just that that you have been able to to touch the careers that you've been able to help springboard. Uh, but this pilot, this was my reason for moving from Philadelphia to Los Angeles. Judd, it was because of this pilot. I came out, I did the audition, I met with you, I stayed out for a little bit. And when I was in Los Angeles, by the way, no money before the pilot. Not like I was coming out here <laughs> With a bag full, Judd. It's like nope, when I nope. saw Los Angeles, I said, "Fuck, this is it. This is it. This is this is where I want to be. This is where I want to live." And I remember auditioning and talking to you. And when I left, Judd, I got on a plane as if I already had the role. Like you know, when you're ignorant to the business, I yeah. didn't. And like you know, I didn't understand that there was a chance of this not happening. You didn't know I, that I had just looked at 25 other people who were just like you. Yeah, I, I, it didn't register. <laughs> it didn't register. I'm on a plane. They flew me all the way out here. I sat, I talked to him. I talked to Judd face to face. And we talked about the stuff, the work. We did a bunch of stuff and I left. So this is going to happen. So I'm going to move. I swear to you, Judd, that was my, <laughs> that was my mindset. What was, the, what was the meeting for you? And and that that early stage when I got out there, do you remember that? Do you remember that like uh, audition? That little that little um, I don't even want to call it an interview, but I guess it was like a little interview. It was an interview, an audition. It was to get me to do like some improv shit. Do you have any uh, recall of that? I remember that your manager Dave mm -hmm. said this is the guy, and he was he was uh, someone that I worked with when he was running the improv in san diego wow so you know you know when you're young and you're not really that good yet but you got little sparks of it and maybe you might get good one day and you yeah. always needed those people who would let you have some stage time and treat you with respect even though you kind of didn't deserve it yet because wow. they could see the future with you and dave becky was that guy for me you know he i remember bringing sandler to perform on a Monday night headlining. I, I said to Dave, you gotta let Sandler headline. Maybe that was off of remote control before SNL. And Sandler bombed so bad for an hour straight. <laughs> he put his back up against the wall at the improv and just ran it. Like it Tank. was just not happening, tanking it. <laughs> but, because back then when he was first starting, people, you know, they hadn't, figured out what that was yet. It was so yeah. experimental what Sandler was doing in his early stand-up days. So Dave had recommended people to me before, and he was a good friend, and he said, Kevin's the guy. And so when you came out, I was already primed to appreciate what you were doing. And I had seen videos of your stand-up, and I already thought, oh, this is, this is going to work, you know, yeah. this combination of people. So you probably did have it in the room because I'm generally, I'm like a, a fan. So as soon as you start, probably 20 seconds in, I'm like, yeah, we're done. I, do, I okay. don't need to see much more than that. Because you know, like when you would see a comedian on TV when you were young 
and they just owned you instantly. You'd see like Bernie Mac on something and you're like, that's my favorite guy of all time. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's how I always looked at comedy when I'm, ca- when I'm casting. I just imagine that I'm 15 years old. Would I want to watch that person in the show? It's crazy that you say that, you know, that you say in a room, you know, right? Like you, you get it. All right, God, this is the guy. This is the guy. I like this. I, I, I mean, I, I give you your flowers now because the talent that you have been able to say, oh, I want to work with, oh, this person has the part. Oh, this person here, I'm wanting. Oh, they're my cast. The, the, this bucket, this bucket of, of people that you have that you have touched man for all of these people and and i do mean all i I don't think there's one that hasn't had the star level of success i don't think that one of your people have not made it to the point of like true starter like if i if i were to go through names right now if we were to go jason siegel amy poehler seth rogan james franco Jay, Jay, uh, how do you say Jay's last name? Is uh, Barishel. Barishel. Yep. Jay Barishel. Um, January Jones. Um, uh, Adam McKay. Um, uh, let's go. Um, Charlie. Charlie Hunnam. Our buddy Charlie Hunnam. Our buddy Charlie. Our buddy fucking Charlie. Got to share my Charlie story. Telling people about the trust. <laughs> uh, who else? Who else am I? Am I missing? Uh, well, who am I to list? But but yeah, I mean, I but again, it's all as a fan because you know when I was a kid, I'd watch the talk shows and I'd watch like the Mike Douglas show from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that was the big talk show yes. during the day, and yes. he'd have like Michael Keaton on as a comic. And even as a little kid, I just thought I love that guy, and I'd be tracking him. So I would hear, oh, he's got a new TV show. He had a show called Working Stiffs with Jim Belushi. And I'd watch that. And then it went away really fast. And I'm like, where is that guy? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? And then suddenly he resurfaced in uh, that movie Night Shift. Remember the movie Night Shift? I remember Night Shift, yes. The second run Howard movie. And I'm like, he's back. I love that guy. And then, you know, he becomes Batman. And then he's, you know, know, he's the greatest ever. But that's that's all it is to me. I, I, I was always just... Would I watch somebody? And so it's just literally personal taste. It has nothing to do with any formula. It's just, I don't know, January Jones came in and I just thought, I like watching her. She cracks me up. She's, I mean, that was a comedy and she was really funny. She played a Midwestern girl who had just moved to North Hollywood and had never seen the ocean and and had a romance with Jason Segel who played Frankenstein at Universal Studios. And that was his job. And his boss was Adam McKay, who used to be Frankenstein at Universal Studios. And now was the manager who oversaw all the Frankenstein. <laughs> it's so good. It's and so you were the good. guy who, had a, who was a comedian on the show who had a beer commercial. Yes. So everyone was broke, but you had made like 30 grand on this beer commercial. So you were living the life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I had a tagline and everything. That's the best, yeah. <laughs> the best thing ever because it was so true. It was so true. Yeah. How did you make the transition, Judd, to to this space of of writing and creating? Like, what the thing is, it's for you, you know, in in your career as a person, like you said, that love comedy, that love stand up comedy. When did it click that this was a door 
that that was one that you wanted to open like i want to go here i want to now go mm-hmm. this route i want to go i want to start writing and creating television and get to features what, like mm-hmm. how did you start that when, when was that decision made well i was doing stand-up in high school i went to east side comedy club and governors uh, as a as a governors. young kid so governors oh. <laughs> <laughs> i remember i opened up for tim allen and governors and my dad goes, now that guy's funny. Yeah. I'm like, well, what about me? Yeah. No, but he's funny. Yeah, son, what you did is okay, but what that guy got up there did, Jesus Christ. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. <laughs> oh, my God. He, I, he, he killed so hard. I remember a woman was laughing so hard, she leaned over a candle, and her hair went up in flames. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's, that's how crushing. hard he was killing. That's crushing. But um, so I wanted to do stand-up, and probably in the back of my mind, I thought, I'm going to be Bill Murray. You know, that's what you would think when you were in high school. Like, that's the dream to do that. And I think very quickly I realized I'm probably going to be more Harold Ramis. I'm going to be the guy either standing next to Bill Murray or the guy writing the jokes for Bill Murray. I don't, you know, you notice it as a young person, uh, charisma. And you could feel it, you know, when you're starting out at a comedy club, there might be, say there's 20 comedians around, but there's always somebody that is the magnet and that everyone is excited about. And you can feel it. And here's the weird part, Kevin. As a comedy fan, I always thought, I don't think that's me. Wow. I, I know when I'm standing next to people that they got the light on them wow. in some way. Wow. But I loved being a part of it, and I loved writing jokes. And I also loved, I loved writing jokes for people who would fearlessly execute the mm. joke. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't really have the courage to even think of stuff for myself and do it with that much confidence because I didn't know who I was. But when I was young and I would write something for Jim Carrey, I knew he was going to crush it. He would commit to it like no one you've ever seen in your life. And that was really fun. So at some point, people got breaks. Sandler got some big breaks. Jim Carrey got some big breaks. Uh, I met Ben Stiller and, uh, and created his sketch show with him. And then I thought, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to, you know, help people with their careers and coming up with their visions. And then slowly over 10, 15 years, I thought, well, what are my stories? I don't want to just help everyone else. Do I have any stories to tell? Was the Ben Stiller show, was that one the biggest one? Was that the biggest break uh, at, at at that stage in your career? Like as you were writing and like you said, doing things with this talent for Sandler, for Jim Carrey. Was a Ben Stiller one? Was that like the holy shit? This is yeah. different, this is real, but I can I can now do this for me. That was the big one because before that I had written the Grammys a few times for Gary Shandling. Mm-hmm. And I did a couple of Tom Arnold HBO specials. Wow. These comedy specials where we would have a lot of guests on doing sketches setting up these like reality comedy pieces so chris farley was on one and jim carrey and stiller and frank zappa people like that would be parts of it but when i met stiller he had just done a sketch show for mtv which was really amazing but he just did about a dozen of them but people knew he was going to do something great and i just happened to bump into him online at elvis costello unplugged wow and he said HBO is looking for a sketch show and we started just talking about it. And within three days we had thought of it 
And within a week, we had sold it to HBO. And everyone thought we had known each other for years and we had met a week ago. And that fast you clicked. This is the shit that, that really makes me go, wow. Oh, sure, because you're, you're seeing something now with your career, which is how do you create the pipeline, right? Because there's not some stack of great scripts that Kevin could go look at. at you know, you, you might get offered something great occasionally, but for the most part, you're going to create a production company and you're going to have development people and you're going to write some scripts yourself. You're going to hire people to write scripts and to consistently have awesome movies come out over decades requires so much development work. So and much. that's the thing that Sandler was always a beast at, so which much. is he worked his ass off as a writer and a supervisor to make those movies. And you know, most people, as you know, they don't do it, right? So no. he's on he's on SNL, and in order to create the movie career, he's got to write that movie, right? So him and Tim Hurley he write the movie, and then they do it again and again and again. But I remember when I lived with Sandler, and he was just trying to audition for movies, and it almost never worked out, right? <laughs> because, you know, someone gives you some crappy scene to read, and you're like, you look like an asshole, because you can't make their crappy scene work yeah. in the room at an audition. And suddenly they think, well, he's not very good. And you're thinking, no, your scene is kind of terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you go through that for years until finally you go, I guess I should buy a computer yeah. and write, write it and the way it I would perform it. Exactly. And, do it myself. And, and most people don't do that. Most people, it really takes a lot of fortitude to sit your ass in a chair every day and write that and write the, the movie or your stand-up act it's the toughest thing in my opinion in the business i mean writers like you said to to sit there you and you're you're developing and you're in this creative space uh when you flow you flow but when you don't you don't you know and and for those that have churned out the material like yourself uh i applaud it i applaud it and you you know you've done it you've done it in such a surgical way um what was the thing after the ben stiller after the ben stiller show after you guys developed that, what, what came after? So we did that for, we did 13 episodes of which 12 aired. We got canceled. And oddly, six months later, we won an Emmy for best writing. And so we had a little heat off of having a terrible time slot and being mistreated. But people were talking about Ben and talking about the show. So I didn't know what to do. So Shanling said to me, why don't you come write for the Larry Sanders show? Mm. Uh, and then I also took a job at the same time for a, a show that Mike Reese and Al Jean and James Brooks from The Simpsons were doing called The Critic, an animated show. So I was doing half a week at Sanders, half a week at The Critic, and that's how I learned how to write stories, watching okay. them create these episodes. Okay. And at the same time, I started writing with Steve Brill, Heavyweights. And so we did this movie about a summer camp for overweight kids that starred Ben Stiller. Keenan Thompson was one of the kids. Yes. And that was the first movie that I worked on. And, you know, Disney didn't know what to do with it. It was really dark and weird and <laughs> silly. And, and it's become a bit of a cult movie because it's on Disney Plus now. So they put it up on Disney Plus like it came out eight days ago. Yeah. And... I think more people have watched it this week than watched it 
1996. When it came out, it's now reborn. But like you said, it is. It is a classic. It is a cult classic. Well, we did it with a good heart. And I think it, I think, you know, you never know, you know, like when you watch your old stuff, you're like, does this hold up? What, what did I do in this movie? Is, is there anything in this movie that's going to end my career? Like <laughs> jokes are in this movie. And luckily Steve Brill and I somehow <laughs> hit a nice pitch where we're, we, we were talking about our own nerddom and our own otherness through these kids. Yeah. So, very compassionate to the kids. And so it holds up. Thank thank the Lord. That's funny as hell that uh, you say that. You go, holy <laughs> shit, they just dropped something I did from 19. Oh, God. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's a chance that this thing is going to come in. It's going to come in hot. Brace yourself, honey. We got we got a fireball coming our way. You yeah. just, the phones are going to start ringing. It's, it's hilarious to hear you say that because that's the it's, – it's unfortunate, but that's the mindset that we now have to have. Um, oh, yeah. And in that early time, man, I mean, you're you're talking about. I just want to. I'm going to keep on mentioning these names that you're talking about here. You're talking about uh, Sandler. You're talking about Carrie. You're talking about Ben Stiller. Uh, I mean, you're talking about uh, Larry Sanders, the Larry Sanders Show. You're talking about Gary. I mean, these are all names. I mean, these are such comedy conglomerates, heavyweights um, at this time. You're getting pieces of all of this. I feel like, you know, all of this humor that you're exposed to, it's 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 rubbing off in some type of way, you know. And and now that you put yourself in a position to learn how to write these scripts, you know, did you ever when when was it like, okay, I'm I'm breaking off, I'm by myself, I'm developing these things and now I'm going after talent to be in the things that I solely develop. Like when when was it the when when was the decision made to separate from i don't want to say pack because it's not like you were in the pack but you were constantly attached to a person to develop yeah. with when was it i'm sitting down by myself now i'm creating this thing and this thing is going to be a representation of me and my writing talent when did that come i think that happened uh at some point when we were making the cable guy so i got brought in to produce and do rewrites on the cable guy and after it came out, I thought, you know, I guess I should do the thing that some of my heroes do, like Cameron Crowe and Jane Brooks, which is I'll spend like three, four years on one script and try to make a masterpiece of some kind. Mm -hmm. So I had met Owen Wilson when we did The Cable Guy and was a big fan of what him and Wes Anderson were doing with Bottle Rocket. Uh, and we wrote a movie together and I thought they this is going to be it. This is the movie. And I worked on it with him for uh, several years. We handed it in to everyone and no one would make it. Wow. So it was, it was years of work that led to nothing. Wow. And at the time I was doing a lot of punch ups on other people's movies. Uh, and then I got a deal and I met, uh, well, I didn't meet, I knew Paul Feig and I said to Paul, you have any ideas? Cause I have this deal. And one day he just dropped Freaks and Geeks on me. And I think from watching Paul work on Freaks and Geeks from such a personal place, and it also forced us as the writing staff to give up our personal stories. That's when I realized, mm. oh, the gold is in going deep into yourself. And was Paul, did Paul act as like a, a mentor in any way? Well, it, it, it was a funny type of relationship because I had a deal. I looked up to Paul. I met Paul when I was 18 mm -hmm. and he was 
you know what he was on at the time? This is like 1986, 87. He was, what was that movie with Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey? Um, Dirty Dancing. So he was on Dirty Dancing, the series. So we're all kids. Fig's got a real job on a real show. That was wow. like very impressive. So we had known each other for a long time as comics. And then I think in, in, in reading what he wrote, it became a way of understanding by watching him, by watching Shanling, like, oh, my friends who tell their truth are breaking through wow. in some way. And okay. so on that show, I told some stories of, through those characters about when my parents got divorced, I would use details. And uh, there was a scene where Martin Starr's character comes home and he watches Gary Shandling on the Mike Douglas show while eating grilled cheese sandwiches and chocolate cake. And it's to the Who song, I'm One. And it was a really sad scene about being a latchkey kid and getting your pleasure alone watching comedians on talk shows. And that was a scene I wrote and directed. And I... I finished it and Jake Kasdan, the director said to me, I think that's the best thing you ever did. And that's the most personal thing you ever did. And that's when I, it all, I think in my head clicked like, Oh, all this stuff I thought no one would give a shit about is actually the only thing they care about. That they care about. It's, it's kind of crazy yeah. because it's like that in standup comedy. You know what you just yeah. said? I think there's a, there's a direct parallel to standup comedy. It's a moment of standup comedy when you realize that you can be yourself. Yeah. There's a moment when you realize that you can be yourself and that and that sharing your personal experiences, uh, good or bad, trials, tribulations, whatever it may be, are where you get the biggest and best response. So I think in writing, it's the same. Yeah. It's it's absolutely. it's truly it's truly parallel. And I think, you know, to your uh, uh a nod to you, like within the characters that you have put on screen, they've all been so personal. I feel like you spent so much time in truly developing the characters to where like the characters, they, they all, there's a, there's a high level of care that goes into every character that's been in a Judd Apatow film. Like it's, 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 oh my God, I get that guy. I, I am that guy or I understand that guy. And, and you know, there's, you want that now. You know, I think that's so big in our movies today. We're we're constantly looking for the relationship with the character as an audience. Like, I, I want the relationship with the character. What am I taking away from this character personally? Or what do I identify with personally? I don't want to be so far separated from a character to where I just have no clue of what the fuck is going on because I would never do or I never yeah. done. You know, I want I want a sense of self somehow, somehow, some way, and uh, and and I think that you've been able to do that. And saying what you just said makes it makes sense. Like you taking away from your life the things that you've done and making the decision to implement those in your work. For twenty five years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. 
One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. In the early days, favorite movie you did? Is it The Cable Guy? Is that one of them? That has to be one of them, Jeff. Uh, definitely, because it was just weird that we were making a movie and had a big budget, and Jim Carrey, the funniest man in the world, was there, and it was blowing our minds that you know we had the toys you know, to make something. And Jim certainly was very interested in not repeating himself. He didn't want to do Ace Ventura or The Mask again, and so he created a really dark, twisted character. And and Ben had so much fun making a thriller. Basically, it was a dark yeah. comic yeah. thriller. Uh, but also, I think, you know, when we did 40-Year-Old Virgin, I felt like my sense of humor, you know, inspired by Carell, I, I wrote that with Carell. I had, you know, Seth Rogen, uh, you know, helping, uh, you know, as a producer and an actor on it. You know, that that was where I felt like, okay, this is my sense of humor. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, of course, having you there was uh you know a highlight i mean i think about that day all a lot of just how funny everybody was and i think it, it, that whole set was a lot of people just on fire jane lynch is just crushing it romany and and uh jerry bednob and then Carell. we all sat there and wonder at how funny he was because he you know he, had, he just crushed it on anchorman and i thought well i'd love to watch a movie that was all steve uh, and then he had this idea to play the 40 year old virgin. And the, the second he told me, I thought, well, I know what that is. <laughs> oh, well, we got stuff to pull from here. We yeah. gotta, we can, we can go in deep on this one. I'm going to tell yeah. you what's, What's so good about the 40-year-old virgin? Romney Malco getting that part was the best thing that happened to me. It was the best thing that happened to me, Judd, because there's a moment where you think you're at a certain place in a business. For for my listeners, uh the 40-year-old virgin, I had went out for uh the part that Romney Malco got, which was a it was it was a great part. I was like, oh my God. This can be it. This is life changing. This is the role of a lifetime, et cetera. Like I, I, there was so much that I had put on getting that part and I didn't end up getting it. Judd gave it to Romney and Judd brought me back to do the cameo that I did where I come into the store me and Romney end up getting into it. And the, the scene is improv. Like he just let me and Romney go and gold came out of the scene. But Romney showed me that I was not ready for that type of part. Romney showed me that I was a little green in certain ways, right? Like it was, I still needed some polishing, some fine tuning. And it was after that, that I made the decision to go get like an acting coach, to go sit with somebody to really break down acting to me and, and, and what I should know and understand as I'm reading these scripts or, or, or breaking these, you know, going to these auditions. And 
I remember after the movie came out, Judd, watching Romney's performance, and I was like, that's who was supposed to have it. Well, I'll tell you something about that is uh, a couple of things. One, from the moment we started working together, I I honestly always thought, oh, Kevin's the guy, right? Mm -hmm. And so in in my head as a comedy producer and fan, I'm like, how do you break Kevin? So we we did uh, the pilot, then you did a bunch of episodes of Undeclared. And then when it's time for that movie, there's nothing I want more than to have you in the movie. But when we were going through the casting process, more more than um, uh, the idea of your acting talent, because that wasn't my concern. Mm-hmm. I just realized it needed to be an older person. Mm-hmm. That the point of the movie was this was a guy who had a lot of experience with women, had slept around a lot, and yeah. was the worst person to give you advice. Yeah, he was a fucking machine. Romney yeah. was a... <laughs> And you were so young at the time, maybe you were 25 or something, mm-hmm. um, that just instantly when you came in, it was like, oh, no, this has got to be an older person. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, which is the bummer for me, but I was so thrilled that you killed in the movie because sometimes yeah. sometimes the part's just not the right part. But you don't have that, you don't have that understanding and young in your career. There is yeah. no there is no lesson or book that you can read that breaks down yeah. right for the part, wrong for the part. It's oh my god. I didn't they get the me. fucking part. <laughs> I, they they don't want me this this they, they, they Judd doesn't like me, man. I don't know why he doesn't like me, man. This yeah. was why wouldn't he give it to me, Dave? You know, you don't have that you don't have sure. the the logic to digest that. So it's just oh shit, this didn't work out. Oh my God, I gotta get better. And that was the mindset that I took from that. I gotta get better. And then watching it, I just remember Romney just being so good. You know, me and Romney are so close. We're friends until this day. We worked together several times and we talk about that. I'm like, dude, like you you just changed my perspective on a business and made me take a different, a different approach to just preparation. So yeah. right or wrong for the part. Granted, it makes sense, but at the time I took it as I got to get better, and that's what yeah. I'm saying. That moment was, and 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 then that scene ended up being like one of the biggest fucking scenes ever. Like it's it's <laughs> it's something that was on my reel in the beginning stages that that got me. You know, I can't even tell you the amount of comedy clubs that I got into because of the Forty Year Old Virgin and because of the guy from the Forty Year Old Virgin. It there was so much that was able to trickle from that. Uh, that, that it felt like that also helped. you got your thing across, like, oh, yes. this is what Kevin does. So, by creating yes. an environment where you could experiment, you felt supported, we we're improvising, but with you know clear directives that you grabbed the reins and said, This is what I do, this is how I would be in a movie. Mm. If, you, if you gave me the whole movie, this is the beginning of what it might look like, and that was an important thing. But the bigger issue for me was I didn't really have that character. I did a table read of that movie and all the friends of Steve bombed. Wow. Right. Rudd bombed and Rogan bombed and Romney bombed. And I was like, I thought that the relationship between Steve and, and Catherine Keener would be the hard part at the table. It crushes. And I realized that I had not developed the friends. And what Romney did is he created that character. That wasn't a character that I understood. I couldn't tell you how that person would speak or how they would relate to everyone. So we went into rehearsals 
uh, with Seth, Paul, and Romney, and we just talked about it and riffed and improvised. And Romney, I mean, I, I, in all honesty, if you watch that movie, eighty percent of that Romney wrote himself. Holy shit! I mean, he he crushed all of that every Holy day. Holy shit! That's huge. That's huge. But that's also, I think that's a that's a dope thing about how you work. Like when you do those rehearsals and you 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 go in and there's the improv sessions and the back and forth and you know how you're taking notes from that you're you're allowing you're allowing your talent to bring things to the table um and steve steve in that process how was steve with with the improving and the back and forth i mean i, I look at steve as one of the best to do it when it comes to incredible that. yeah just ridiculous so open so funny the set pieces that that he wrote in that movie were just incredible. And you know, the thing that I like about early movies with people is they, they just work hard. You yeah. know, when that's a movie's meant to be your big break, you are gonna stay up late trying to <laughs> make every scene Busting your ass. amazing. Busting I, your I, fucking I, ass. And that's that's what Steve did. And he could just riff all day. We both had a sense that the crew was so annoyed with how much we were improvising, you know, because the crew had just done all these Clint Eastwood movies where he does one take. Yeah. And with, we're, we're going on for hours You're on rolling. some of these scenes. You're we're rolling. rolling. We're doing that, that poker scene where they slowly realize that he's a virgin. Hours of riffing. And the crew would look at us like, can we fucking go home already? <laughs> can we leave? Like, can you guys stop whacking off so we can go home? But that's what it took to find all those moments. To find the gold. Here's a tough yeah. question for you. This is a tough one. Yeah. If you had a dream cast, right? Mm -hmm. You get a dream cast, you get five. You got a cast of five, and yeah. you got two cameos, Judd. Yeah. Five, five of your comedic, yeah. your comedic personalities that you love. Give mm -hmm. me your, give me your, give me your cast of five. Give me your two cameos. No pressure to put me in this. No pressure. Five, five plus two. Okay. Five plus two. Okay. Five plus two. This is really a brutal, brutal question. This is like when they ask people like their top five rappers and yeah. then you know how how angry everyone is. <laughs> this is a great question for you. A great question. Okay. Well, I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll put you in first. Um, I, I'm going to try to think of the people I haven't worked with. Okay. Okay. And I will have the caveat that there's probably 20 more, but I'll still do it. Okay. So, <laughs> so I'll say, you know, I got to go Steve Martin right off the bat. Insane. Love you know, it. Love it. Uh, I, wow, this could be, I don't want the, the whole show to be taken up by this because my brain is, is, is melting with the possibilities. There's pure panic. There's panic on Jed's <laughs> face right now. It's like, <laughs> there's a shitload of panic on Jed's face right now. Steve Martin, that's a great fucking cast member. I love it. Yeah, so, so we'll say Steve Martin, let's say, I mean, uh, I mean, I kind of have to go. Like, it'd be fun to try to really do something incredible with, uh, like, like Chappelle. Chappelle, uh, gosh, Chappelle, um, Steve Martin, already the poster's getting great. The um, poster's already forming. Uh, I, I would say, yeah, you know, Kate McKinnon, but I'm about to work with Kate McKinnon. 
Doesn't so matter. Kate's Kate's a comedy beast. A comedy beast. I okay, love so Kate. I'll say I'll say Kate. I'll say um uh Zach Galifianakis. Zach. Right now you're strong. Let's right? go over. Steve Martin, Dave Chappelle, Kate McKinney. Oh my God. And now and now you add Zach Galifianakis. Come on, man. This poster is unreal. I want to see the movie already. Right? I want to see the movie already. Give me one um, more. Um uh maybe Michaela Cole. Oh, from I from I may yes. destroy you. Yes, yes, that's strong, Judd. That was that was that was as good as as it gets. That's strong. Cameos, cameos. When I got you do two cameos, you got two cameos. Uh, well, two cameos. Re- well, Phoebe Waller Bridge. Oh, oh, strong, strong, right, strong. And for my listeners, this is what I tell you. This is what I tell you. Look at the mind. Look at how the mind works. Look at his <laughs> comedic mind. Look at look at how deep he's going for his comedy pulls. It hurts. I'm gonna. I'll miss. I'll miss thirty of them. But and then I'm trying to think who really makes you laugh hard. You know, like people that make I mean, you, you gotta you gotta make you piss. You gotta I'll, 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 list. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you at the end. Ready? Okay. I'm surprise you at the end. I'm gonna say Nathan Fielder. Holy shit! Out yeah. the left field. Where'd you pull that Nathan, from? Nathan, for you. Where did you pull that from? God damn! Who, who makes you laugh really hard? I mean, Nathan's those... funny as fuck. What do you mean? Yeah. Nathan's funny as and... fuck. That's a great list. Let's talk about stand up, man. I can't, I can't not get into stand up with you right now because you started there. Uh, you loved it. You got into this world of writing and. You know, there was a moment where you backed off of it, and then you fell in love and 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 said, "I'm going to revisit it. I'm going to do it, but I'm going to go hard at it right now." Where are you at with stand-up comedy, Judd? I did not write one joke during the pandemic. During the pandemic. <laughs> I only even had one comedic thought, which was, and this is how lame I've been for a year. My only thought was, every time someone mutes on a Zoom, they're farting. That's all I thought of in a year. <laughs> That's, it. That's as That's deep it. as it got. That's just stand up. <laughs> That's just stand up comedy muscle right now. I wrote a shot of movie. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I was in England. I made a movie for Netflix mm-hmm. called The Bubble about a group of people trying to make a dinosaur movie during the pandemic and everything goes wrong. And I just got back from London shooting that movie. Um, uh, and so all my energy went into that. Because uh, I I just got so bored of sitting around, yeah. and you know I found it hard to write stand up when I felt like society didn't really exist in its normal form. So mm-hmm. it's hard to observe your everyday life because your everyday life is so strange. And ultimately, my mind said, I guess I should just make fun of what's happening right now, which is yeah. how am I going to make a movie during all of this? Yeah. And that's what I spent my time on. I'd like to go back. It's so funny because in my head, I I really did think. Maybe you should never go back. I, yeah. I had that feeling. And then I was talking to Mike Birbiglia yesterday, and he said, they're playing a lot of cuts from your album on Sirius, and they sound really good. And I said, you're my comedy angel. I, I'm not going to quit. Yes. Out of nowhere, out of nowhere uh, uh, a sign <laughs> just came at you. You didn't expect yeah. it. Mike gave you a saving grace 
verbal right. sign. Um, I mean, I think that's that's what a lot of comedians are. I think there's there's some comedians, you know, Dave is so sharp right now because Dave was, you know, he was in that comedy gym in Ohio, so he's sharp as ever. I talked to Rock. Rock is Rock has got some shit. You know, he said he's feeling good. Uh, I told him I said I got nothing. You know, I'm 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 in the boat that you have. I'm in the same boat as you, man. I got fucking nothing. And well, I'm how many busy. hours have you written? How many I, specials have you done so far? I've done seven. I've done seven yeah, specials. That, I mean, seven hours, and probably for every special you had ninety. That's right. Lot, so I mean, you and you yeah. cut out a half cut hour out, cut out to a get lot. to the hour. That's a so. lot of it's a lot of comedy, man. And you know, the, I definitely didn't have the thought that you just said of. Maybe I maybe I don't do any more, but it was like you know, maybe maybe I'm just maybe it's just the road, and maybe I'm back on the road and I wait for a special like because you because you do got to figure it out. You got to figure out like what what is life now and what what is my take on life now? Like are we back to normal? Are we are we what 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 are we now? Like the the biggest thing for me is greeting. You know, when's the last time you fucking you you've been able to greet a person normally? You you come in, it's like a half fist bump, half shake, <laughs> a, a midway attempt for a hug, a stop. It's like these are the things that that have just gotten weird. So I'm a people person. I need yeah. people, Judd. So it's not until I'm able to really be around people that I can generate this thing again. I, and yeah. I don't I don't know I don't know when that will be you know i've just been on these movie sets tv sets so i i think when i when i'm when i get done some of these productions i'm going to go and just kind of figure out what that is maybe go to new yeah. york maybe we go to new york judd spend some yeah. time in fucking new york maybe i'll tell you when i'm going yeah and we we go for like you know two weeks or something just to fuck around just to step in some shit and and see if it stinks right that's right see, see 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 what our our uh, dual bill is. Yes, yeah, we what get I, up see, there. <laughs> Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't don't risk it click it or ticket paid for by nitsa how old are your kids now man i got four of them judd i'm 16 14 three seven months four fucking kids you had a kid during the pandemic during the pandemic i got a pandemic baby a little (laughs) Lil Pandemic is what we call her. That's Lil Pan. Come here, Lil Pandemic. A little, a little, a little pandemic baby. I can't believe I got four kids. Four fucking that kids. Your kids are, aren't your kids like 30 now? How old is how old is your goddamn kids? Jesus Christ. Well, I'm, a, I'm about to be an empty nester in three weeks. It's so insane. I'm about to have that. Are you serious? She's out. She's, She's out. out. She's out. And so uh that is uh how long uh, we we've known each other because uh, I didn't even have have Iris when when we met, and so Judge, she's out the house. So now you have to write the I have babies routines again. That the bits you did 14 years ago, you can oh. recycle. Oh my God! I know, I know you're about to lose it. How's Leslie? I mean, I know she's probably going to be a wreck when she leaves the house. 
Who's he going to hit harder? I think, I think you know what you do? You make a choice to either be in complete denial that it's happening or you're just looking at photos all day long crying. And that, so it's one or the other because there's a part of you that's like, I've had to wake up at 6.30 in the morning for the last 23 years. And you could rejoice at like that extra 90 minute of sleep. Like you can yeah. go, it's about to change. I can travel. I, I have freedom. I'm not locked into the school schedule. Or you can go the other way and just go, it's over. Oh, no. I, I can't believe it was, it's over. I think it all, it all depends on the kid's level of excitement, too. What's yeah. what's her excitement to get out of the house? I feel like when they're too excited, <laughs> it's frustrating. Yeah. When it's like, yeah, I'm yeah. out of here. Two days. Yeah. The bus is coming. <laughs> I feel like uh, that, that because when Maude went to college, she would FaceTime us like on almost every walk to class. Mm. So it didn't feel like she left. Okay. Because she would like have a 10 minute walk in the snow to class and then she would just want to FaceTime the walk. And so so they felt very present. But if you have a kid that doesn't want to do that, oh, who's shit. like happy to check out for a couple of weeks, I oh. think that'd be pretty brutal. Yeah, my son, my son is like that. My son's a jackass. My son don't <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't respond to text, call. My son he's just not a he's not a phone person. It's, it's, it's at a point where I'm like, dude, do you yeah. Do you love your father? At this point, I'm really starting to just question your your level of care. He's like, Dad, I just don't have yeah. my phone. Like he truly could give a shit about his phone. Leaves it that's home. So, doesn't he can care That's the that best though. He is. I'm that's why it's like it's like I'm halfway I'm halfway irritated, but then I'm not. Like I like the fact that he's not into the social media. He's not he doesn't yeah. care. He he truly yeah. doesn't give a shit about it. But the the consequence yeah. is like you you can't get to him sometimes. You Do you have the programs like, where you track them, like the yeah. find my phone, and you can see where they are? Yeah, Life 360. You got Life yeah, 360? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have, have that one. Life 360, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's an app where the whole family is on the app, and you just yeah. know where they are. It's more important that so you know where your kids are, you know, because they're at that yeah. age. They're at that age where they can, I'm going here, but they're not where they say they were. And, you know, it's not that I, I just need to know where you are just in case. Yeah. That's my thing. I'm not the crazy dad, but I need to yeah. know where my kids are. Yeah, That's see, I thing. never wanted to be tracked. That was a big thing in the family. And they think, like, well, what is he up to? But really, it would just be like, oh, look, dad's at Baskin Robbins. He's on his way to Carvel. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm just moving. Like, that's all I'm doing is eating what you don't want me to eat. Well, well, me and my wife, we turn ours off because it yeah. isn't for us. It's for you. So it's like, you know, yeah. you're, we're, we're the adults here. So this is for us to understand. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a barrier in that. You're not yeah. going to know where we are to judge what you can yeah. do based off of where we are. It's a thing. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a double sneaky thing happening here. Like we're out sneaky and one another. No, you're not going to know where I am. So you know what you can. No, no, we turn ours off. That way, so you don't, you don't know, know where we are. Yeah, don't you know, know what party shit. I'm at. Yeah, you don't know what fucking what what shindig we are at. No, not at all. I I tried to teach my kids to be known as people who don't respond to texts. I said the best thing you can do is be known as flaky, because when your friends are looking for you, if you have that reputation, like sometimes she doesn't answer. Yeah. Then you can move through the world any way you like. Yeah, you're okay. But if you're if you're known and then they want to reach you and they're like, she saw it. I know she <laughs> checks. Different. You're, you're yeah. in trouble. It's, it's a different thing that comes with that. Give me the, give me the want for Judd Apatow now, man. 
what are you what do you want to do now what are you looking to do uh at this point life seems to be rearing its head again uh is there any material that you're working on is there is there a new level of of development or creative that you're looking to attack what's the mind of judd what's next well the movie i just did is really silly mm-hmm. uh karen gillen is the is the, the star karen. of it i love karen, uh, man. and and so i kind of thought you know i've done some deeper movies. I did the movie King of Staten Island with Pete. Great movie. You know, movies that are dramatic and funny. And I thought, I think in this movie, people just want to laugh their asses off. They mm-hmm. want to break. Mm-hmm. So I fully embrace like a ridiculous, dumb movie with dinosaurs and madness. And that felt right. So I'm not sure if after that, I'll want to swing back to something more substantial or just go deeper into idiocy. There okay. is a part of me that thinks the world needs a few years just hard comedy and you know because that is fun sometimes to just go how funny can a movie get like can you really crush wall to wall and i don't think people ever understand how hard it is to make a consistently funny movie it's a miracle i mean i i definitely think we're missing we're we're missing the last one i would say that was able to hit a home run on all sectors, on that, on that, on that rated R level of comedy, I'm gonna go to. Yeah. The first Hangover hit a home run. Yeah. On on so many levels, of that big, comedy, uh, thriller like adventure, <laughs> but edgy raw. It's like fuck. This this train just didn't <laughs> stop, and the laughs yeah. kept going with it. Like that was a big fucking yeah. comedy right mm-hmm. um we're we're definitely missing the next version of that type of comedy that level of edge within comedy a movie that was fucking that was really good good boys yeah good boys good boys yeah. tapped a lot of boxes for me with those kids with comedy with with the edge like my my thing is that that r you know that that rated r and comedy and i you know i know that we look to to go and and you know kind of studios always want to play in that safe space of getting families and everybody in there but i i i'm i'm pushing i'm pushing for that for that r or that that close to r edgy thriller like comedy and and you know i've yet to crack the code on what on what it is on what it you know what 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 that movie is but that's what i want judd i want that fucking r you want the movie that just goes way farther than you expect it to go i mean that's usually usually what it is even if you watch airplane there are some shocking jokes in airplane (laughs) if you you watch it again now you'll catch them oh yeah 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 you'd be like wow you wouldn't do that one right now (laughs) are you are you tiptoeing though within the development of your movies, um, you feel like there's a there's a level of tiptoe of okay, wait, let's pull back. We can't do this. We can't do that. Um, is there a fear of like, well, I don't want to go too far because of the things that'll come with it? Are you mindful of that stuff now uh, while being? I don't. Creative? Yeah, I mean, my thing has always been if you if your heart is in the right place, I think you can do 
anything. Now that doesn't mean there aren't certain people who who won't complain. And everybody has different tastes, and some people are you know looking to be offended by things. But I always think about what Colin Quinn said when he was promoting his book, The Coloring Book. They were asking him about humor and what you can say and what you can't say in political correctness. And he said, I think you can say anything as long as you mean it. I don't think you could be sloppy. Uh, mm. And I think that that's true I, because if, if the message of your joke or the point of bad behavior in a movie is for people to realize that that's bad behavior, mm-hmm. well, you still should be able to do that. Movies are always about people who make horrible mistakes on the way to learning something. So you don't want people who are like, well, you can't even make mistakes in movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because then they're not funny at all. The only thing that makes us laugh is outrageous behavior and, and terrible really choices. You know, that's a really good point. That's a that's a strong point. You know, uh, you're, you're kind of putting up a lens. I'm I'm giving you a POV into something that is wrong or something that that people do that's wrong. And we're going to do it in this film and then we're going to have a road to correct it in the movie because we did that. We shouldn't be judged or we shouldn't be viewed a certain way. Uh, I, that's that's a strong that's a strong point of view. I like that. I like that. Not that I haven't thought about it, but I don't think I've worded it that way. The way that you just worded it was a lot better than I may have tried to word it uh, in development. You know, and now well, I always say it this way: normal behavior is never funny, right? Ah. Like somebody, somebody who acts appropriately is the death of comedy. Wow, another fucking good point. Damn it, where was I at? Why don't I have? I don't have any. Normal behavior is not funny. That's Judd. That's Judd Apatow. Look at that. That's fucking genius. It's so simple, but so profound. Normal behavior is never funny, and it's true. It's true. Nobody wants to watch a perfect person. It's not funny. It's not fucking funny. It's not good. I remember in Stripes with Bill Murray, the opening scene is he gets mad at the woman in his cab, and he pulls over in the middle of the bridge and chucks the keys into the into the river, right? That's comedy. <laughs> it's fucking so absurd that it's comedy. By the way, uh, still, pound for pound, one of the funniest people walking on this yep. earth, man. What about Bob? What about Bob, Judd? What about Bob is one of my favorite movies. What about Richard Dreyfus? and what about Bob? Come oh, my on. God. Oh, my God. He's. <laughs> what about Bob? What about Bob is such a good movie. It's such a good movie and such a good performance from both leads. It's so good. So, like, I, I mean, it's it's one of the few movies that I have on an iPad. And I'm not an iPad movie watcher. I have What About Bob on an iPad because that's a movie that I, I have no problem watching over and over again. What About Bob? I watched it a lot when we, did, when we did Cable Guy. You know, that that genre of the new friend who won't go away and ruins your life. That's a, that's a nice nice genre. That's, that's, at that point, yes. At that point, that was, that was the thing. That was yeah. the, the fucking thing. The guy or a woman that comes around as a friend and you just can't get rid of them. You know, yes. it's funny you said it. Do you feel like comedy has its, uh, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's, it's generations of the new thing that that's being presented. Like how you're talking about yeah. the friend that wouldn't go away. You know, <laughs> what do you feel? What do you feel our comedy, 
our comedy thing today is? What's the thing that they say we're looking for today? Uh, well, right now, well, I don't know. This is the thing that we have to figure out, which is uh, uh, what captures the mood of this moment. I mean, in the movie I just made, I was trying to make fun of the idea that we all think we're going to learn a lesson from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the humor comes out of people profoundly thinking about like what what they learned from this. And clearly they're not learning much. But, <laughs> you know, there is an argument that we should bring back every hacky convention from the 80s and 90s and just just make spies like us over and over again. I had a I had a uh, one of my execs. They they called me and they, you know, they had a meeting with one of us one of the studios and i'm like yeah we're look we're looking for like this uh like the like 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 the like the next beverly hills cops and i'm like well i said whoever that person is i said tell me because they they should be punched in the face like whoever is still bringing up uh we're looking for like the, the beverly hills and the cop like they should be punched in the face to use that as a reference of what we're looking like or what we're looking for today like tell me tell me yeah. that exec that you met with so i can fedex him a, a, a stick punch <laughs> to the fucking mouth uh, it's, it's, uh ladies and gentlemen man i i i don't think that there's more information that can be given uh i love having these conversations and i love having them for for this reason i mean not just the stories but just the the dialogue the conversation and what comes out of them judd dude truly thank you man thank you for coming on comedy gold mines thank you for being a friend thank you for being a teacher and a mentor in this business man and, and i love that you are forever you you have not changed you've been the same with me uh and towards me throughout the duration of my career man and i hope that it never changes i hope that you and i continue to grow in our relationship this is fucking dope man i appreciate you oh absolutely i'm uh, thrilled for everything that's happened to you uh and it's all as i predicted that's how I look at it. It's all as I predicted. Every yes, detail that happens in your day, I predicted. You knew. Something. You knew. Judd I knew. knew. <laughs> I knew that one day that you'd write a self-help book and then I would read it for my own self-help. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Comedy Gold Mines. And oh my God, what an amazing mind this was. Judd Apatow. Thank you, Jeff. Comedy Gold Mines is a serious XM and LOL audio production. Executive produced by Kevin Hart, Ty Randolph, and Eric Weil. With Tastemakers Media, Emil Garner, and Ian McDonald. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. 
One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.